looking at the script, pulling all the facts and saying, okay, like, Kate lives in Chicago. She's best friends with Josh and October. They party together on the weekends. They do a lot of drugs. They maybe sometimes kiss a little. Filling in the gaps of like what's not there, what's unsaid, like what's not in the slug lines or in the action. Welcome to Best Infested. I'm Leslie Posh, the director of the Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their careers in film, television, and learning all the uber secrets of Hollywood. Oh my goodness. Today I'm super happy to have on um, as a guest Rivka Reyes. Uh, amazing. She is a Filipina Jewish actor, writer, musician, hybrid. She also hosts her own podcast. We're going to have to talk about that, uh, where we are now. She debuted in the film School of Rock. Uh, her credits include Monuments on Hulu, a picture-perfect holiday on Lifetime, and the world premiere of Geffen Playhouse's first musical, A Wicked Soul in Cherry Hill. Oh my goodness, welcome. Thank you. I'm so good. Thank you for having me. You also have a film that is coming out within like a breath of uh, when this podcast is going to launch. Uh, we're going to talk about that too, Alex October. How did you get bit with this bug of entertainment? Well, it all started before I was born. Um, oh. I'm being serious. My mom uh, was a lover of the divas. She was very into Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, all them girlinas. And she would play a cassette tape player of like Mariah and Whitney and all the, the singers like on her belly while I was in there kind of marinating. And um, the lore is when I came out, I was like, it sounded like I was singing uh, when I first even like popped out of there. Um, that's the lore. I don't know if it's the truth, but it's, that's the lore. But you know, that's, that's mom lore. So, you know, it's going to live in infamy no matter what, cause it's mom lore. Oh yeah. And then, you know, around the time I was two, my parents started noticing I would sing in my crib. I would, you know, dance around at restaurants and, you know, make a big scene of myself. I'm also a Leo, which is like very classic, like I'm the star vibes. And they were like, okay, like, she wants to do performance, we're gonna make her a performer. And they put me in um, music lessons from when I was like two, I started off taking these like, you know, baby music classes, like, mostly just like clapping and playing percussive instruments. Um, <laughs> and then by the time I was four, the music school was like, hey, like, do you want to learn how to play an instrument? And I was like, yes, please. And I tried violin, didn't like it. I had turned it on the side to strum it. And the teacher was like, that's not how you hold it. And I was just like, okay. And so um, they were like, yo, like, we think she should play guitar instead. It's like very clear. She's like meant to hold a guitar in her hand. So when I was four, I started taking guitar lessons. And from there, I've been performing ever since. And my first ever audition for anything was School of Rock. Um, you know, they found me through this NPR radio show that I had performed on. It's like this this show called From the Top on NPR. It's like for classical musician prodigies under 18. And they heard my little clip and my interview and they were like, she's super charming. Let's get her in here. And I auditioned and 
you know, booked it on the first audition, which is crazy. Um, truly like a one in a million chance. And, you know, from the first day I came to set, I was just like enamored with just like the life of being on a film set. And ever since then, I've been on film sets, on stages, on, you know, commercials and, you know, made little movies with my sisters on our iPhones, <laughs> made little movies in my apartment during COVID on my phone and, you know, just edited them on a silly app and, and you know, I'll do whatever it takes to to make movies. <laughs> so coming, well, it, it's interesting because coming from a Filipino uh, traditional family, right? Um, you know, that was not necessarily a path that the traditional you know, Filipino culture support, right? So how was that just digressing, you know, from the maybe the more standard path that your parents might have wanted you to take? I would say that my family, specifically like my parents, were very like supportive from day one of me being an artist, which is, you're right, it's not, it's not traditional. Um, for many families, like a lot of families, you know, there's that stereotypical trope of like, you know, the Asian parents finding out the kid wants to be a dancer and they're like, what? No, go to med school. But that was never the case with my family. They were always like 100% in on me being an artist. And that's the same for all my siblings. Like all of us, there's four of us, I'm the oldest and all of us are artists in our own way. Like, you know, my, my other sister's an actress, my baby brother's a very talented multi-instrumentalist musician and producer and my other sister is a chef and she can sing and you know we're all very artistic in our own right and and I think our parents are too like I mean my mom was in choir and you know played a bunch of instruments too and was modeling and my dad has always been very invested in like the music business and you know um would take me to concerts from when I was like six years old, you know, took me to see Santana and Elton John when I was like six and it changed my life. Yeah. I mean, totally. As well, so. it should have changed your life. <laughs> I mean, to see Elton John when you're five oh at my. the height of the Lion King hype. I mean, come on. That would have been amazing. So how did you translate that really into that first part uh you know, with, and and you've got now such a a cult following on School of Rock. How do you trans? How did you translate that? What was that first experience like on a on a big deal? Well, in retrospect, but even a big deal when they were shooting it. We knew too. Like it's it's when we were, it's funny when we were making it. Like I think me and all the kids kind of had this collective, and they were kids from all different walks of career. I mean, how far can you be in your career when you're ten? But like kids who had been on sets their whole life kids who this was their first movie like me kids who were primarily musicians who like would never ever set foot on a movie set again after this one like you know and all of us I think had this collective like group conscience that this movie was gonna be a kind of a big freaking deal like because we had Jack Black with his star power we had this great story and it's like a classic you know tale of like a misfit finding a group of like people or kids that they connected with and making something beautiful it's just like sound of music like it's literally a classic thing that has repeated itself in film history and kind of felt like this evergreen like how could we go wrong with this and there were some like 
moments on set where I was literally just like, wow, like this is a cool thing that we're doing here. And we're like really making life-changing art for some kids out there that are going to see this and say, oh my God, like I actually do want to like play piano instead of like, you know, being a rocket scientist, like my dad's like dream for me is, you know? And again, like I'm very fortunate and I think all of us, you know, (laughs) to be honest, like set kids, like our moms all wanted us to be there. Like it wasn't an inconvenience for anyone. (laughs) Well, you know, of course, listen, I I have an actor son as well. And I, you know, so I'm a set mom as well as everything else I do and a producer and writer and whatever. So I totally get it. Like when I'm there, I'm there. He loves it. It's addictive, you know, for all concerned. It's a fun gig. Um, So in retrospect, now really looking back at, you know, how much impact that had on your career, on your life, um, you know, the cult following it still has, you know, what has that done for you? It's done a lot. It's done a lot of good. Um, I'll say that. Like, I've, I've definitely gotten to, like, have some experience that are, like, truly wild. Like, Drew Barrymore invited me to be on Instagram Live with her to talk about the movie because School of Rock is one of Drew Barrymore's favorite movies. And that's, like, one of my all-time idols. Like, I want her career, like, to, to, you know, be, like, kind of, like, this America's sweetheart comedic actress who does a lot of, like, rom-coms and then, like, randomly Charlie's Angels. Like, that's dreamy to me. And then, you know, gets a talk show. Like, I would love to have a talk show. I think it'd be so fun. And she's just this, like, sweet angel that I got to, like, spend, you know, 15 minutes on Instagram with just talking about this, like, shared experience of, like, loving this movie. Um, Me being on the other side of it. But, like, Yeah. And then like, you know, alternatively, it's also done a little bit of harm. Like, I'll be honest, like, you know, I find myself like being put in this box as like, oh, you're that little bassist from School of Rock. And it's like, I'm a 30 year old woman who, (laughs) you know, has a lot more credits than that. But just because like School of Rock happens to be like the most widely known credit that I have on my, you know, resume, that's the one that gets brought up. And I'm, like, happy to talk about it. I'm happy that it happened. I'm 1,000% grateful that I got to be a part of it. But at the same time, it's, like, sometimes I do feel this, like, pang of, like, can we talk about something else? Like, you know, I'm not feeling that in this moment necessarily, but there are people that I can tell, like, you know, want to hang with the kid from School of Rock because I did something, you know, for them in their childhood which is cool and great but like I like when I can tell somebody like wants to be my friend because they are genuinely like interested in me as a person versus like what's on my IMDB you know but I've always had a strong intuition for that ever since I was a kid like you know when School of Rock came out like kids were either really really cool or really really mean and there was no in between no middle ground whatsoever and you know, it's just like I had to really stick with the the real ones, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, my my son is an actor, and he still has, and he has that problem too. You have the real, real mean ones, and then you have the very supportive ones, and there's really nothing in between. There is, there's no gray. It's it's black and white in the world of you know middle school and 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 up into high school, and then I think when you get into college, you're starting to get into a little bit more saner, you know group friends right but how did this yeah yeah but how did this um 
because you, you, you do many, many things uh, besides uh, singing and School of Rock. How did you jump into comedy cause, uh, and, and doing that? Let's, let's talk where that segment occurred. Yeah, I mean, I started doing improv in high school, like just as like a fun after school thing when like theater, you know, I I was always doing theater. I was like, you know, doing the play and doing the musical at my school. And in between the play and the musical, I would do improv and I had so much fun doing that. We would do like just the short form, like stupid games and stuff. And then in college, I went to like a proper like acting school, like for for acting and like learn how to do freaking Shakespeare and learn how to speak an iambic pentameter and like mark up a Shakespeare script and all that stuff that is still kind of useful I guess but I was in between my freshman and sophomore year and finding like myself wanting more education um in the comedy world and so I started taking classes at IO in Chicago um Second City I went through like all of their programs and you know got hired at Second City to like write a couple of reviews and you know, do sketch there. And while I was um, working at Second City, um, learning how to like write for myself and like create from my own voice was really powerful for me. And I started doing like solo performance. Um, I wouldn't call it stand up because it is music, (laughs) but it has kind of that like Bo Burnham-y like, you know, quality to it where I'm, you know, singing a song and then bantering in between my songs and you know doing little bits here and there quick little one-liners whatever and just really curating this like name for myself based on my my work as a comedian um with the sketch at second city with the solo stuff i was doing with the improv that i would do occasionally and you know that that community in chicago is so strong i mean people literally move to chicago to do improv i'm from there i like grew up there so I had the luxury of like having access to that from when I was in high school and getting to go see shows and, you know, see TJ and Dave like when I was, you know, in high school and stuff. But yeah, it was like game changer for me because it did help me be more confident in myself and break free of that like bassist from School of Rock thing. It's like this hilarious comedian who can really like lean into these like characters that she's creating off the top of her head also happens to have a pretty cool credit from 10 years ago, you know? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I'll be honest, like it did, that's where School of Rock was helpful because like, you know, I never had to like go through the whole like open mic thing because people already knew who I was and like considered me to be somewhat of a like a well-known like, you know, Chicago celebrity, which there is a difference between a Chicago celebrity and a celebrity. (laughs) Right, 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 right. (laughs) Well, during that time, because you're openly queer. Famously openly queer. <laughs> but, you know, it's, 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 it's a topic. It's a topic of who you are. It's a part of who you are. So, it, it, you know, we're, 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 I'm talking about that because it's important to understand that that is also something you bring into your characters. And you also started bringing that into your improv. So I just want to talk about, you know, how you got the courage to, you know, bring that forth at a time where it was still kind of in that gray acceptance area. Yeah. um, 
Well, yeah, I mean, early in my sketch and like comedy career, I was always like, you know, the only queer one or the only queer girl or the only like Asian one or the only mixed race one or whatever. Like there was this like weird lack of diversity that thankfully has like shifted so radically in the last 10 years. Like, but of course, when I was first starting out, there was a lot of like, you know, oh, why don't you put a lesbian joke in their riv? And I'm like, I don't really feel like it needs to be in there. Like, why do we have to do that? And then, you know, because when I first started, I was like actively identifying as bi for some reason. Um, <laughs> and I, I fully wasn't, but I was just identifying that way because it felt safer for some reason. Um, and the- no, that was kind of, that was like the first step to, you know. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's the little peep in the door that gets you. Yeah. um before I realized a lot of things about myself um but yeah like I was always like kind of thrown the like oh since you're bi like you're more promiscuous and like put into this box again of like being the like slutty one and you know that was a pretty abusive environment I was in like this wasn't at Second City this was like a different like independent sketch group that I was in for a couple years where you know, we were collectively writing musical sketch and the show's um, theme was like sexual and dating like related humor. Um, and so the the director who was a misogynistic fuck, I mean, honestly, he was a piece of shit. Like, I'll just say it. Um, he would always like, you know, put that kind of thing on me. And, and eventually I like, you know, learned even though I was like 19 at the time, which is like also gross for like a 50 year old man to be like, making a 19-year-old, like, do the sluttiest things in the show. <laughs> really fucking gross. But, you know, that's 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 the way it was. Um, and that's the way it kind of still is. Um, but, yeah, like, at, at a certain point, I kind of had enough and said, you know what, I'm done being your little slut joke and, like, I'm a multi-hyphenate, like, multitude-containing person. And, yeah, I'm much more than just a queer comedian. Like, I... I'm just a comedian who happens to be queer and you know because I happen to be queer that is a lot of the subject matter of my my work and my my writing but um you know it's it's not my entire identity my identity is so many different little archetypes that just kind of form into one beautiful five foot seven Rivka um I keep on saying I'm five foot seven I'm actually not I'm like five foot nine fully just taking off two inches which is weird um (laughs) don't know where that's coming from i'm shrinking i'm shrinking right well you know it's it's interesting that you bring up that topic i mean there's nasty people in every profession um there's definitely nasty people in entertainment that um should be taken down and have not yet been taken down but luckily this guy was the guy that uh ran that sketch group has been canceled on all fronts and you know thankfully the women in Chicago are brassy and like really, really loud and in the best way possible. Like we, you know, absolutely love to take a person down if it needs to happen. I mean, he was grooming college girls and it was really nasty, like what he was doing. Um, but yeah, there are still a lot of creeps out there. Like I sometimes will like, you know, see casting notices for things in Chicago and I'm like, he's still working after all that he did. Ooh, okay, well, I'm going to not, you know, get involved in that. But, you know, it's just sometimes I see that I'm like, whoa. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's hard as a woman in the entertainment industry just to get ahead and, and to build your stats. It's definitely harder when you are one of the hyphenate LGBTQ plus 
you know, whatever's, it's, it's an added burden of difficulty. Um, but, you know, how have you felt either responsible, not responsible on bringing um, that element into the parts you play? Do you feel that, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's a queer part, not queer part, you're an actress, you can play anything. And so that also goes for those that may be straight playing queer as well. What's your feelings on attacking that? Yeah. Well, I can only speak from my experience, like as a queer person who has sometimes played straight characters, but I've honestly not played very many straight characters. Like in college, I played Olivia in Twelfth Night, who like unknowingly is like falling for a girl in drag who she thinks is a guy, which is very queer. I always joke that like Olivia was like the first like Shakespeare lesbian. Um, and, <laughs> you know, with Alex October even, like, right, let's talk about that. Like, in the character description for my character, Kate, like, it didn't say anywhere, like, bisexual or, like, lesbian or whatever, but, like, I just interpreted that scene that I had to do for the audition where I'm, you know, taking pictures in my underwear to sell on the internet, um, that Kate's kind of a down for whatever gal, so I'm, and she parties a lot, so I figure, because I used to be such a down for whatever gal who partied a lot, not anymore, but I used to be that way, I was willing to do whatever it took to feel good and have fun and if that meant to like kiss a girl I met on the dance floor like so be it so there are shots in the movie of me like dancing around with girls and where you know me and October are like really cuddly and close and you know in bed together and snuggly and like that's just like who Kate is you know that's just like a little part of her whole story and in Alex Doctor, we don't really get to see like where Kate's from or like her parents or her like full backstory and like why she started doing drugs but like you know as the actor like I am a nerd and I do like to like do like you know my character's like little backstory and if I can weave in a queer narrative I will okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good I mean you know it's it's if it serves a story, right, and it and it's part of you, um, but that's great that you know you're you have that ability to see where you can interject that and where it may not be appropriate for the overall storyline. Um, but let's let's talk about how you attacked that part in Alex October because I know that it's coming out in theaters soon, uh, September thirtieth, for all those people listening in. Um, how did you attack and on demand? Um, so we'll, we'll highlight that again at the end of the podcast. Um, so where and how did you attack that role and what was that relationship with the other lead? My attachment to the project was like just through a casting director, Brittany Ward, who she's amazing. She does, she did the casting for Alex October. She did the casting for Monuments, which is my other feature that's up on Hulu right now. Um, but you know, I just remember like going into the audition kind of confident that like this role was mine and you know because I am like the kind of girl that in the past would like you know take a bunch of like hot pictures and like you know try to sell them on the internet um you know and I, I was a big party girl like back in college and you know um and then I also relate so heavily to October kind of feeling that like wanting to like step away from that life because I had art to make, you know? <laughs> um, so being able to connect with 
the role of Kate, like I was just kind of confident on, you know, the day that I even got the script and I was just like, oh, I absolutely need to be in this movie. It looks so fun. And it, you know, the team all sounds really cool. And, you know, um, day one on set, you know, we shot that big party sequence in the very beginning, um, where we're all like dancing at the bar and like doing bumps of Coke off a knife. And, in the bathroom, very intimate bathroom at Subterranean, which is this music venue in Chicago that I've definitely like done blow and fucked in. And like, you know, just being back in that place. I mean, I, I was fortunate to have that experience to bring to the character. Me- memories, memories, <laughs> memories. Yes, yes. Like, I mean, Uta Hagen and all them, the dead, you know, acting teachers uh, of the past, like always said, like, bring your experience to this character. It's like, you're just living in given circumstances that may not relate to you or may relate to you and just like you know bringing your full self into this character like not every character I play has to be this like huge transformation Uh, and I'm very lucky that you know Kate is a character that was pretty close to home for me like maybe 10 years ago (laughs) Um, and I was able to pull from that time Um, but yeah it was a blast to like be on that set because like Ethan Kukoski and and Tara Shane like they're they're so friggin like fun to be around and like I I feel like we just like clicked from from day one and that like chemistry of like the three best friends who dick around and like fuck shit up um and Elle Walker too who uh played Stephanie um you know the four of us really you know getting to just like hang and like be a little hooligans um and and like tear up the city of chicago like the scene where we're like running through that basement like kicking chairs over and stuff like it was just so fun to like let that part of me out when you attack a role like this do you have a process do you have something that you know really keys you in other than you know it it was very close to home for you so you were able to pull from your own experiences but you know technically do you have a a process that you go through to really bring that into play yeah um text analysis is like hugely important to me I sound like such a nerd when I say that phrase but like just looking at the script pulling all the facts and saying okay like Kate lives in Chicago she's best friends with Josh and October They party together on the weekends. They do a lot of drugs. They maybe sometimes kiss a little. Filling in the gaps of like what's not there, what's unsaid, like what's not in the slug lines or in the action, like, and just using my imagination and checking in with the team, like, you know, just like, hey, I had a thought that maybe I would say this here. Um, You know, the scene where the um, (laughs) security guard like kicks us out of the hotel like that was pretty much improvised like we kind of like improvised that scene because the guy playing the security guard was so so funny and like so quick with us and we were really like there I mean I'm sure there's a lot of fun like BTS footage of like shooting that (laughs) because we were that scene was like really like four lines on the page but we made it a full play I mean (laughs) um just but but I think also too, like my improv training really helps me be in the moment like that. And like, you never know what, like I can do as much text analysis as I want, but you never know what Ethan and and Tara are going to like bring to set the next day. You know, they, they might bring me something that I wasn't expecting. And then I just have to kind of volley off of that and play with it. But I think like 
in combination, like, the text analysis, the improv, and then, like, all my, like, freaking Meisner training and, you know, whatever I went through in college and in improv school and at school at Steppenwolf, like, just bringing all that and finding what's useful for the moment. Like, I'm not going to use text analysis necessarily for a commercial where I don't have any lines and my direction is just to shave my armpits. Literally a, a ad that I did a couple months ago. Um, <laughs> but I might bring, like, you know, I might bring the Meisner technique of, like, just feel what you're feeling right now and, like, you know, bring awareness to the emotions that shaving your armpits right now is giving you. I feel excited to clean my armpits. Like, I feel excited to get rid of this hair. It's a new me. It's a new chapter. And you can, like, build a whole freaking story off of five seconds of a gif. Like, it wasn't even a commercial. It was, like, a gif. But... You know that's great. Well, we're gonna we're gonna segue a bit into a different um, uh, movie, uh, Picture Perfect Holiday for Lifetime. What on earth? What? Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, it was talk, so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, my friend Anna White is a um, writer. She's like a contract writer for uh, Hallmark, Lifetime, all the the Christmas channels, and she she writes a bunch of Christmas movies. And you know, she hit me up on Twitter one day and was just like, "Hey, like I'm writing this movie for Lifetime, and I feel like there's a role in it that I would really like for you to." you know, keep an eye out for when, you know, we start doing casting. And I was just like, oh my God, I would love to. Um, my family isn't particularly a lifetime Christmas movie family. Like we, you know, stick to the classics, um, Elf and Scrooge and all of them. But I was just super down. Like, I mean, and she, she of course sold it to me by being like, it's a gay character. Like it's like the first time that Lifetime is having like a gay kiss in a movie. Uh, or like a lesbian kiss in a in a Christmas movie on Lifetime, and I'm like, dude, yeah, history. I'm down to make history, and you know, I, I we shot it in Utah in July. It was wild because we we're like in sweaters and it's like 90 degrees. Um, For those listening in with fake snow, with the whole thing draped, so it gives you the feeling of the snowy tundra where a lot of Lifetime movies are shot in, in Canada. Yeah, they, they really do. There's a lot of, like, yeah, just, like, felt on the ground. Like, and, you know, they, they CG'd a lot of the, the um, snow <laughs> into it. But, yeah, it was great. You know, Tatiana Ali, my one of my all-time crushes from uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, was the lead in that movie. And then Henderson Wade, who played her um, romantic uh, interest in the movie, was so fun and so hot. And, you know, we were, like, little workout buddies during the <laughs> days off. Um, and and it was it was a fabulous experience. I mean, yeah, it, it, it was, like, my first job during COVID. And there was, like, a little COVID outbreak on set. So just experiencing, like, the production halt was like crazy but um other than that it was a really smooth uh ship and it, it was fun i don't know i liked having christmas in july it was pretty magical <laughs> there you go that's our slug line christmas in july um well uh, speaking not of christmas but uh, and not of july we're uh, uh let's talk about you do a podcast what like <laughs> and let's talk about what and how you started that and what that's all about for the listeners. Yeah, my podcast, Where Are We Now? We did one season um, pretty, you know, quick and breezy, and it was great. Um, I just felt like I needed 
a space to talk to other former child stars. I had written an article called uh, Confessions of an Obsolete Child Actor um, back in the beginning of uh, COVID. And, you know, it got a lot of attention and um, suddenly people were really interested in what I had going on. And, and I was just like, yeah, that's cool. But I also want to know what Hazel from Degrassi is up to. I want to know what... Um, the like weird creepy girl from that show that got Demi Lovato famous is up to, you know, and I, I just brought all of them on. I, I literally just like reached out on either TikTok or Instagram or, you know, found their contact through their managers and, and reached out and we had a good old chat and, and oh God, it was so fun. I got to talk to um, Clayton Snyder who played Ethan Kraft on Lizzie McGuire, which was like my, one of my favorite, favorite shows growing up. And, you know, all the girls had this big crush on Ethan Kraft. I didn't really give a fuck about him. I was more just invested in like the storyline. Um, but I was, I was really jazzed to have somebody from Lizzie McGuire on the show because I just did really want all the tea on like Lizzie McGuire and the fun goss from the set. But it seemed like it was a pretty um, wholesome experience all around. But we had a great conversation about spirituality. Um, something that both of us like have in common is like a really strong sense of like spirituality so we talked about that and you know getting to talk about <laughs> making a web series with Andrea Lewis who was on Degrassi another one of my favorite shows um and I really thought it would be fun to like ask them questions that like they wouldn't normally get asked because like a lot of those people have worked on shows that got other people famous like you know Demi Lovato and 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 uh Miley Cyrus and you know whoever Drake um and instead of doing what most of those platforms would do and asking, like, what was it like working with Drake? What was it like working with Demi Lovato? What was it like working with, you know, whoever? You know, just, like, asking them how they, f like, what's their morning routine? Like, what do they, you know, like to do on the weekends? And just having a good old time and, you know, also centering on the question, like, who was your Matilda? Like, for me, seeing Mara Wilson um, play Matilda was hugely inspirational for me like I saw this like smart girl who was magical and had magic powers and saw myself in her for whatever reason um you know a girl feeling like an orphan in her own family feeling like the family black sheep and relating to that so hard and I wanted to ask my fellow former child actors like who was yours like who was that for you and like just like the the broad scheme of like answers that I got like you know, it was just, like, so fun to, to connect to all them. And that podcast is, you know, um, taking a pretty indefinite hiatus right now just because I'm, I'm busy with other busy with other projects. Um, but uh, they're all uh, available to listen to on Apple and, and Spotify and all the places where you get podcasts. You also get to hear me catch up with some of my former School of Rock classmates. And, you know, we're all still very close. So those episodes are always really fun. Nice. You mentioned spirituality. Um, you are Jewish, and um, which also is not a uh, you know a Filipino kind of cultural choice. So um, <laughs> let's talk about that. Yeah, my dad's Jewish. My mom's Filipino. They both are like not spiritual at all. Um, my mom, well, my mom is, is pretty spiritual. She's like a crystal girl. Like she loves crystal and, uh, crystals and like, um, you know, witchy stuff too. Like she gives me crystals for my birthday every year, which is really sweet. Um, and my dad is, is, you know, Jewish in that he has, you know, 
eczema and stomach issues, but not uh, in like a practicing sense at all. Like, you know, I'm about to have a Rosh Hashanah dinner on Sunday and, you know, I, I do like observe the high holy days and I fast whenever the Jews fast and I eat a bunch of cheese whenever the Jews eat a bunch of cheese for Shavuot. And like, you know, I, I celebrate, you know, in those ways just because, right. you know, yeah. even though I didn't you're really, active. Yeah, yeah you're active. I, I didn't really go to temple like or church as much when I was a kid. I, I went to a Catholic high school randomly for a couple of years and didn't love it. But um, I just always had some kind of a connection to something outside of myself because it did give me this anchor. Um, and, and I lost the thread for a little while there when I was, you know, actively like partying and drinking a lot and getting into kind of digressing, digressing, bad, yeah. yes, digressing into bad girl territory, um, or not bad girl, but party girl territory. Um, but I, I reconnected, you know, I got sober, uh, coming up on five years ago, right when I moved to LA, I kind of decided like I, I was going to leave the party girl back in Chicago and, you know. And also, you can still be a party girl while you're sober. I've learned that. And I've, you know, been to raves in sobriety. I've, you know, gone to big concerts and music festivals in sobriety and had a fucking blast. And I was able to remember everything and I didn't throw up. So, like, you know, best of both worlds. There's pluses on that side. (laughs) There's a lot of pluses, yeah. But with the spirituality thing, like, I don't um necessarily identify as like a serious like you know practicing jew but there are elements from judaism um the mysticism of of being jewish and the yes the stomach issues too but like you know the history and the storytelling like the musical that i just uh wrapped at the geffen was um about a a murder um that happened within a tight jewish community in cherry hill new jersey it was a true crime like this actually happened um this rabbi hired a hitman to off his wife because he was having an affair and rabbis can't get divorced and you know being able to connect through storytelling with my Jewish roots was really fabulous. And, you know, it was all happening around, like, you know, Pesach, like, had just happened, and we were in the, like, 49 days between Pesach and Shavuot, and I was counting the Omer and doing all this, like, ancient, like, Jewish mysticism ritual. So Jewish that my dad was like, that's a, that's pretty Jewish, Riv. Like, I don't know, I've never heard of that. Like, (laughs) you know, I'm just like, well, it's really cool, and I think you would really like it, and maybe you can check it out. But... You know, my spirituality is like it's not coming from a place of like an organized religion. Religion. I'm I'm pulling things from all religions, all like you know, s- sorts of different modalities. Excuse me. I do like you know tarot and <laughs> you know psychic shit, and I go to mediums and talk to ghosts. Ever since I was a little kid, I play with Ouija boards and you know all that. And and yeah, I'm just. I'm a seeker, you know? I I try to find God and wherever I can. And, you know, for a while there, it used to be I was looking for God at the bottom of a bottle or at the bottom of a donut or (laughs) at the bottom of a girl, um, the bottom of a bottom. Um, But I didn't find it there and kind of was like, oh, I guess I have to go back for seeking it, like, deep within my soul. Well... If you, along your travels, um, what is a dirty little secret that you have learned that you wish, gosh, you know, if I had known that 10 years ago, that would have been so helpful. What is a dirty little secret you can share with us? I'll say it. Like, just bring wipes with you. Just bring little wet wipes with you. Baby wipes. (laughs) 
They're good. They're useful for a lot of things. You know, if you ever just like, I'm not, I'm not going to say more than that. Just bring baby wipes. <laughs> just, just have some baby wipes in your purse. Okay. Or on your body somewhere. Um, for those listening in, we have uh, Alex October. Um, uh, opening up. Uh, you want to tell us where it's opening up and uh, and the date, which is coming around the corner, September 30th. Coming around the corner, September 30th, playing through October 6th in Los Angeles at the, oh, help me, I don't know how to say this, Lemley. Lemley, the Lemley Theaters. Lemley Theaters. Lemley. That's okay. Lemley Theaters in Santa Monica. Yes, it's a cute little theater. I've been there many times. Never knew how to say it until right now, honey. Um, But you can see it there. If you're not in L.A., uh, visit alexoctobermovie.com for more information on how to get tickets in your city. It's also available on demand and pre-purchase on Apple, iTunes, and all the details for pre-purchasing uh, are on the website. So all those listening in, go, go, go to the website and, and, and get your uh, get your tickets now. Uh, I want to thank you so much for joining me on Best in Fest and, um, and all the lovely things we talked about. Rivka Reyes, thank you so much. Best in Fest, we're out. Mm-hmm.